0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work.
1: Shopify.com work.
0: The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the best in the world with Richard Parr. If you haven't heard of this podcast before, what we do is we speak to Olympic champions, world champions, world record holders or world number ones to find out what they do differently from the rest of us to fulfill their sporting ambitions to be the very very best and by listening to all of these amazing athletes we learn things that not only can help our sporting ambitions but in many cases our everyday lives because i'm pretty useless at sports but i I still have a life well kind of (laughs) you know what i mean this week my guest is from the world of squash She's a former world number one, a winner of the World Open from 2013. It's the English squash player Laura Massaro. The first thing I've got to say about Laura which I really like about her is the fact that when we had this conversation at the very start she says that she feels so honoured to be a part of this podcast because of all of the guests that we've had before on this programme and she took the time to listen to a few episodes and she even mentions it in this podcast that she was listening to our episode with Stephen Hendry. It's really lovely when some of these guests do this and others have done it in the past and I'm sure others will. Will in the future. But the main reason I'm bringing this up is because it just shows that even the best in the world, people such as Laura, are still always trying to learn from the other best in the world we're always learning there was a podcast recently i did with antonio carlos jr the brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion and he was talking about how he was reading books by ronda rousey for example trying to learn from the best and that's what we do on this podcast this week from laura we learn a lot of different things including the journey she took to become world number one when she found out that she had become the best in the world and also how she coped with it how she coped with the pressure of being the best in the world in squash she talks about playing in the era of nicole david who was the world number one for nine years We also talk about the relationship she has with her sponsors and, in fact, how one of her sponsors has taken on an almost mentor role with her. So that is all in this amazing podcast with Laura Massaro coming up in just a few moments. If you do like what we do here at The Best in the World with Richard but we do do it for you for free. We've been doing this for nearly two years now and we're looking to get some support from you. Some of you have already done it by going to patreon.com forward slash best in the wild. But if you like what we do and you want to support us, it's very easy. All you have to do is go to that website patreon.com forward slash best in the wild and you can be supporting our program keeping it on the air from as little as $1 a month. I'm not going to talk much more about that because I want to get on with this interview. I want to listen to Laura Massaro because she is the best in the world.
0: The best in the world podcast with Richard Parr.
2: Laura Massaro World Squash Champion, welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Pass. So great to have you on the programme and the whole point of this programme is for us to learn from the very best, to learn from people like you but when you were growing up who were some of the people that you looked up to and tried to learn from?
1: Yeah well um, first of all thank you for having me on the podcast. I know I feel like I'm in great company with um, all of the Champions that you've had on the show so far, so feeling uh privileged to be part of that um I guess, yeah, in terms of athletes who I looked up to um I think from a squash perspective for anyone who obviously understands squash and has followed any of the squash tour um Sarah Fitzgerald was a huge idol of mine growing up she was um world champion, world number one, um, dominated for a period of time while she was on tour. She's Australian, but I was lucky enough to have her based in Manchester at the back end um, of my junior, early senior career, and she was kind enough to give up some of her time and, and get on court with me, and so that idol ended up becoming more of a friend, and um, I learned so much from her. Look, you know, looking back, I think at the time you don't really realise how much you're taking in off them, but... Now looking back, um, you know, to have that sort of help from an idol is just unbelievable. Yeah, and sometimes
2: they say never meet your idols, but actually, <laughs> in, in that case, it, it proved to be pretty good for you. Is there one bit of advice from her that always stuck with you at all?
1: Um, I think, I, I think actually, it was more recent when when I when I got the world number one spot for the first time. And again, anyone who's followed squash will know maybe. Um, I I, I don't think I actually believed at the point that it happened that it probably would ever happen at that point. I'd I'd been on tour, um, you know, for 12 years, and Nicole David had been world number one for nine straight years, extremely dominant. Um, A few of us had been trying to chip away. When I finally got that world number one spot, it was obviously, as you can imagine, a a really big deal. And she actually texted me and and said to me, um, make sure that you say it out loud, and I, and I sort of didn't really understand what she meant. I'd, I'd, I'd um, played a match in Hong Kong, which I which I never really realized that as a player that you would actually play a match for the world number one because the squash work rankings work really similar to the tennis rankings in that, you know, they come out on the first of the month and you you could be anywhere. You could just be at the gym training and they come out and you're like, oh, you've gone to world number one. So when I was in Hong Kong and I actually played a semi-final match and the PSA, Professional Squash Association, said to me, if you win this match, you go to world number one next month. It was obviously a, a, a lot of pressure on that one match. And um, I managed to win win that match in the semi-final and know that regardless of what happened in the final the next day on the 1st of January, I would go to world number one, which was obviously New Year's Eve going into New Year's Day. So a really good New Year's Eve <laughs> Celebration, which was brilliant, but it actually meant that I had about a month until the next tournament for it all to sink in. And she texted me and said, "As I said, just um, you know, say it out loud to yourself." And and it was funny because no one really ever does say that to you. You say it, you sort of think it in your head. Wow, can't believe I've done it. I've got there. You know, people say congratulations, but it was a massive big thing for her to say to me um, because when I got introduced onto court in that first tournament, and it was. At the tournament of champions in New York and we have a court put up in Grand Central Station which is unbelievable and I got introduced in my first match as current world number one I was really glad she text me that piece of advice because I, uh, I think I would have just been a rabbit in headlights otherwise but I'd you know athletes say don't they about visualizing about preparing and and even just those small moments like being introduced onto the court was a really really big deal for me and I'm really really glad that I did say it out loud to myself
2: in in some ways, in, in future matches, did it make you more confident in any way? Did it, in that whole, I am the best in the world, I am the world number one, or did it add more pressure? Did it work in either way?
1: I actually think it worked in, in both ways, in, in different situations, in different matches. It obviously depends who you play in, what round you're playing how long I'd had that world number one spot for I'm, I'm not gonna lie the first tournament that I played I definitely think it carried more of a weight um even with that advice and, and all the advice that I'd had it, it definitely carried a little bit more of weight because you go into tournaments at the top of the draw people are expecting you to win every single match and and the funny thing is as world number two which I had been for a long time you go in and people expect you to make the final but I never really saw that as the same pressure as you know you're world number one I think it's just everyone's after you anyone who's been world number one on your podcast has probably said that everybody seems to raise their game against you when you play when you play the world number one because they honestly have nothing to lose so you have that to contend with and in a lot of ways it's made me appreciate a lot more what Nicole David did as world number one for nine straight years how to have everybody chomping at her heels the way that she they must have been for that time is is even makes it even more impressive so um i definitely felt like it was a little bit of a weight in that first in that first period but then as i started to get to grips with it a little bit more and and sort of understand where i was coming from i started to just get back to the basics of you know looking after the processes making sure that i was trying to get the best performances that i could out on court and sort of put that ranking and everything that comes with that to the back of my mind a little bit more and and then I started to really draw upon it as a strength a little bit
2: Mm. what are your feelings towards Nicole David because there must be part of you which thinks oh if if she wasn't around I'd have been world number one and uh, a lot quicker and if she wasn't around I'd have won a lot more world titles but then also there must be part of it where it's like actually now I am world number one and I've stopped this like nine year dominance it, it must mean even more to you
1: yeah and you know there was a long time and I think I'm sure there's a lot of squash players over that period that have thought you know I would have won a heck of a lot more titles and and as you say get to got to world number one I spent a lot more months there than I have done so far but at the same time I I I really think that I am the player that I am because of who she is and who she's been over the course of my career. I mean, we grew, we've come through juniors together, we're the same age. So as harsh as that is on me in some ways that I've managed to, you know, time my whole career at the same time as one of the greatest squash players that's ever lived then to to also get to world number one in that period of time, to also win the titles that I have in that period of time, in a lot of ways makes it even more special. And um, as I say, I am the player that I am because of the level that she set. And I think a lot of players on tour have her to thank for the level of women's squash that's currently being played right now. Um, She brought a physicality to women's squash that hadn't been seen before and, We've all had to step up our game. We've all had to work really, really hard. The women's game is probably at the strongest it's ever been. And she's actually now ranked six or seven in the world. So she's dropped down from those heights of, you know, world number one, but still, you know, firmly established in the top 10 and a force to be reckoned with on any day. But she she's she's certainly been almost the reason that she's six on seven in the world because people have just been chasing her and she set the bar and we all had to we all had to raise to that level to get anywhere near her and eventually a few of us have so I think that's for the sport it's positive it's positive that she isn't winning everything all the time anymore um and you know yeah although it's a little bit disappointing in some ways from my point of view I, I I don't think I can really say that I would change it if I had another option
2: Mm. We briefly touched on the mental aspect of, of sport and of squash so far, but why don't you just give us an insight into what would be going through your mind b- before a, a big match, uh, the hour or so before, and were there any processes that you'd particularly go through?
1: Um I think as I've got older I mean I, I wouldn't say that it's superstition necessarily but I think as you get older you sort you definitely get into routines habits things that that work for you and and you know that have worked in past events so you tend to stick with them it it doesn't ever tend to be anything that that I that I desperately need so you know nothing that that I wouldn't be able to get hold of or do necessarily it's all within myself but it's it's become a pretty a pretty set routine, I'd say. Um, I try, uh, you know, a squash player is very similar to to any racket sport. I'm sure. Um, go down in the morning, have a practice on the court that we're playing on, and then and then it really is just switch off until match time. You know, uh, ov- ov- obviously athletes are brilliant at watching box sets and mm-hmm. killing time. You become a pro at, at definitely killing time. So you you try to just do whatever you can to switch your mind off from the game. Otherwise, you're just burning nervous energy and I learned that really early on that the more you think about a match, the basically the more drained you are by the time you get to the match, particularly if it's an evening, it, it, you're on an evening schedule. So um, it's just about switching off as much as I can, really trying to focus these days on you know squashes, and it's not the end of the world, win or lose. Take a really sort of light-hearted um, attitude towards it through the day, and know that within myself that I've got a real grit a real determination a will to win when I step on that court so for someone like me with um the drive to win and perform and never give up no matter what the score no I know that I can switch off during the day and know that I'll always want to win when I step on the court whereas I can understand that for someone else maybe switching off and trying to enjoy the day wouldn't necessarily work um but for me it's 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 a way to stop that nervous energy and and then about an hour, an hour out from the match, maybe about depending on obviously how far we are away from the court, about an hour and 20 minutes. I normally go out of my hotel room and either down to the court or down to the lobby of the hotel and I sit and get a coffee um, and I write my goals down for the match. How, how I want to play, who, who I'm playing, if I played them before, any learnings from that match and um, I, I generally the last couple of years i i speak to i speak to pretty much my he's actually my main sponsor but and he started off as my sponsor and a sort of a, which is a good way around to do it has slowly become a bit more of a mentor and definitely a friend to me and we speak before every match that I play and he just tells me how amazing I am and how well I'm going to play and that I'm totally you know dominant and that I'm, my squash is going to be. The highest level it's going to be and it basically just tells me that I can go out there and do it and then I grab you know a car or a, the transport down to the to the court and then my warm-up starts about 40 45 minutes before um the match and I go through the same warm-up um just trying to stay relaxed again but trying to just get a little bit more clarity on what it is on the game plan that I've that I've set out and my goals that I've set out before I've started my warm-up and then uh normally just try and time it as well as i can to start time or the match before that's finishing and hit the ground hard and start the match well and that's that's pretty much the routine that i have nothing nothing special but it, it is very i guess it's very professional it's very routine based it's very familiar and and those things work really well for me
2: mm, fantastic well i want to delve deeper in quite a few of those things <laughs> there the most uh, um Random one, though, begins with what box sets?
1: <laughs> well, I guess it depends on where you are in the world. But, um, oh, there's so many. I mean, I've, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and heard um, a lot of the athletes say very similar ones. Um mm. definitely love a bit of sort of the trashy box, box sets that are addictive, like Scandal and, <laughs> um, you know, suits I'm into suits at the moment I did a bike I did a whole bike session before what just with suits in the background so I'm actually not sure how much of that I'm taking in but um (laughs) I just had it on in the background listening to that while I was on the what bike which is a piece of machine from hell so (laughs) that definitely killed a little bit of time um at home generally obviously um massively looking looking forward to Game of Thrones I love House of Cards Um, got into Westworld a little bit that was um, a new one start started um, just before uh, a few months ago which was great and Billions is is also a good one so I mean I've I've watched a lot of box sets and I also watch a lot of documentaries as well and movies and spending a lot of time on flights obviously it's um, a good way to kill time um, on the way back from Dubai, I watched the Iron Bolt documentary, which I'd recommend to anyone who's, uh, you know, who, who likes watching sport and coaching and how his relationship with his coach. So um, that was a really good one to watch. Mm. Is that the one
2: where they, they're filming him kind of doing the high knees in the swimming pool quite near the start? Uh, or- yeah,
1: I think so. It's the one that's got the lead. He it, it basically follows. It's an unbelievable documentary because it follows him from Beijing pretty much. I think, from what I can remember, Beijing through London and up to Rio, um, and 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 to have a documentary that covers that amount of time is, uh, I, th- I think, is unbelievable for an athlete. So obviously, you don't know in Beijing that he's going to go on to achieve what he's going to achieve. Mm. So um, that was a really good one to watch.
2: Yeah, I think I'm. I think that's the recent movie that you've seen, and I think I saw a documentary before, and it, it covered a lot of when he lost the world championships final. Um, okay. To to the to the other guy whose name has just slipped my mind, um, but uh, yeah, a very similar box sets to what personally what I love, but also what a few yeah. of the other champions do as well. Big fan of yeah. billions at the moment.
1: Yeah, looking at. That.
2: <laughs> few other questions from from your answer a moment ago um who is your sponsor can you can you say who that person is
1: yeah um so the the company is called uk fast it's a web host and design cloud space company and um the guy who owns it is called Lawrence Jones, and um, he basically set the company up from nothing. Um, it's now a massive, massive company, um, winning awards left, right, and centre. Um, his office is unbelievable. It's based in Manchester, and I've been normally going um, meet him over there with um, when, whenever I'm having sessions with him away from tournaments. And his office is just like Google. It's got a slide from floor three to reception, um, you know, a massive chessboard in reception to play, a bar on Friday night, a huge auditorium. It's just colourful everywhere. And, you know, the way that he go conducts his business is a massive, you know, he he's had me in on Monday morning meetings to his superiors and said that they've been so inspired and motivated by me. But. Go just every time I step into his office, I I get motivated and inspired by the way that he leads, by the way that he treats his staff, the way that he's, he gives all the time, no matter what. Um, and I've really tried to embrace that and copy that as much as I can. And although sport is a very lonely place at times, and you have to be very single-minded, you have to be selfish. Um, I think at this point in my career, particularly 33. There's a time to start to give back a little bit more to appreciate the. Sp-
0: ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: I appreciate the career that I've had. And, you know, I know that I'm not going to have many more years at the top of, of of professional sport. So to try and sort of enjoy that side of things a little bit more. And the last time I was there, and he's got a full kitted out gym. So I just, you know, the last time I was there, I just embraced that and, think I listened to your Stephen Hendry podcast down there so it was a it was a brilliant session and it's all all thanks to him and you know his, the facilities he's got are unbelievable
2: fantastic and it's always good when you're getting mutually beneficial relationships like that and, and friendships from it um how did you you guys come to meet, and what is the process for a squash player such as yourself to, to get sponsorship is it a, is it quite a grueling task
1: it can be, particularly when you're younger. I think um, I'm lucky now at this stage in my career that um, I have a brilliant manager, and she, um, you know, she's she's a woman, which I think massively helps me. Um, I'm sure a lot of your female athletes have said the same that, you know, to have a female manager and someone who who really rates what you do and and puts you know puts it at the very highest order in terms of speaking to sponsors is an unbelievable thing and she she's almost pushing me to to value myself and ask for what I'm worth and that's been unbelievable but it's it's also obviously significantly easier to do that when you are at the very top of your game so I appreciate that that perhaps wouldn't be the case if if I was to slip down a little bit but um at the moment it's it's all, I think it's always hard to get sponsors just because of the competition in different sports because of um the profile while squash is growing and we are getting a lot more tv coverage it's it's still very it's still a minority sport um so it 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 is hard in some ways that the squash side of it takes care of itself in terms of racket sponsors um, I'm lucky enough to be sponsored by Head, and I think they're brilliant rackets, and they've supported me for the last six, six or seven years. And I'm, I'm, I definitely plan on seeing my career out with them. They've been brilliant, and to have you know fellow athletes on board on the tennis side like Sharapova, Djokovic, Murray, who all play with Head, is just fantastic to be part of such a brilliant company. Um again sort of goes without saying on the um the kit side i'm sponsored by Asics. that's only been the last couple of years and they they do in my opinion the best squash shoot around so that was a bit of a no-brainer and absolutely love their kit as well and um, but yeah from a bit more of a, a a a sort of what you would say outside of sports sponsorship sometimes it's just generally being in the right place at the right time and i was i was just having a hit down at one of the clubs in Manchester. Um, uh, where Lawrence is a member and he he'd been playing a little bit of casual squash he just enjoys the game and obviously as a lot of people do it's a brilliant way to keep fit while having fun and playing a game so he he was down actually on the court after me and thought I was half decent and sort of you know came off and he says he, he said to the guy I was playing or oh, she looks half decent and he and he said oh yeah she's she's top 10 in the world and he went oh yeah what does that mean she's 10 then and uh, he sort of has a bit of a cheeky joke like that, and I think I was probably about maybe four four in the world at the time, and and yeah, he just he just sort of said to me, "Oh, you know, do, do you fancy getting to world number one?" And and he says that I said, "No one will ever get to world number one because Nicole David's there." And, and bearing in mind, this was probably four or five years ago. And he went well. No one ever will it with that attitude, will they? <laughs> and I and I argue to this day that I can't imagine that that's something that I would say. But he hasn't plucked it from nowhere, so I'm I'm a bit unsure whether I did or not. And um and we've worked together just you know on the mental side a little bit, mentoring the same way that he's had a really good attitude with his company um you know he's taught me a lot about goal setting and 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 built up my self-belief and and really our relationship has gone from there and and like I said it really was just being in the right place at the right time and him taking a little bit of an interest in in having a massive interest in sport in general He's also title sponsor for sale sharks rugby at the moment shirt sponsor for them so just a massive sports fan and um yeah he obviously Liked my personality and liked my work ethic when he watched me on court, and the relationship's gone from there, really.
0: The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
2: We'll be back with Laura in just a moment, but I want to say about Audible. You may have heard me mention Audible before, and do you know why? Because it's a product I personally use. And it's a product that you can use for free. Yes, for 30 days. And that includes one free audio book download. I've listened to lots of books on Audible. I've listened to books by Carlo Ancelotti, Zlatan Ibrahimović, Andreas Iniesta, just to name a few. They're all fantastic. They're all available at audibletrial.com forward slash best That's where you'll get your free trial. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best. And you could be listening to books on your MP3 player, your Kindle, your iPhone, your iPad. Go and check it out. I listen to it in the gym while I'm walking, while I'm on the train, while I'm on a bus. I'm always listening and learning to the greatest minds and greatest sports stars on the planet thanks to Audible. All right, let's continue to learn from one of the greatest squash players on the planet. It's Laura Massaro,
0: the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr.
2: Let's talk about goal setting, as you mentioned it, and and earlier you said about writing down what your goals were um, for the match
1: yeah how
2: often do you set your goals on on a regular basis and is it always written down is it always handwritten do you have a little notebook or is it any bit of paper you can find what's your process for all of that
1: yeah well I think um, I think majority of athletes have notebooks everywhere I think (laughs) I, I haven't got one I've got about six or seven and they're all for slightly different things you know some of them are training diaries or notebooks some of them are you know, if, I've, if I'm reading a decent book and I've got a couple of things I want to write down and um, some of them are, you know, I've been helping out with with some um, of some of the England junior development squads and I, I try and plan and give a little bit back to them where I can. And then some of them are just, yeah, like my, my goals and I try not to be too rigid with the goal setting and um, generally probably at, at any time where I feel like I need a little bit more focus where there's a um where there's been a significant period of time for training like like now we're in the off season for a squash player so most of June, July and August is the downtime sort of summer training for us so probably as this as the season becomes a little bit closer back end of August I'll start to you know write my goals down um I have my goals in my head for what I want to achieve through summer um, and I think the same way a lot of athletes do there's a I, I'm very sort of visual picture based in my own mind so I see where I want my game to go I see where I want to be by the time the the, the season kicks in and, and then in terms of goal setting um, I think that's just more of my routine when I'm at a tournament so just yeah I like to write it down um, how I want to play just you know whether whether I'm positive, whether I want, you know, what it is I want to achieve from a tactical point of view. And then also just reviewing my matches as well. I like to review them after. So in the same notebook, just write down what went well, what I could do better next time. Um, And then sort of a really good way to put that match to bed because I think as an athlete, you can really really overanalyze after a match is finished you can relive rallies relive points and and that can you know if you've come through a match and won it can really affect how well you sleep so it's a really good way to mentally putting a match to bed i think being able to write it down get it out of your system and then move on Mm
2: -hmm. fantastic must help quite a bit as well the uh, squash tv cover quite a lot of events now
1: yeah unbelievable and their online platform you know just squash tv in general on our streaming at every event is so professional and any match that I need to see um you know I pretty much can watch my match back within a within well probably instantly um if I wanted to I can watch my match back so I, I quite often like to watch the match back write my review and then put that match to bed um but also you know very very sort of planned and and tactically aware as the commentators like to say a lot so I like to watch my match my opponent before I play and get just get my head straight on what it is I want to do and and then yeah for all major semis and finals now we've got um tv contracts with with different platforms all over the world in the UK it's BT Sport and they show all of our major semis and finals um and that that's been a huge boost to the sport and just I mean I think it's shown the professionalism that that they have on squash tv and and how well the game has moved on and the settings that we have as i said grand central station the the event we just played was in the dubai opera house first ever sporting event to be held in the opera house which only opened in uh, august just gone so it's one of those it's one of those sports that you know you can put a glass court anywhere in the world and have it in the most spectacular of locations and i think that certainly helps with the online coverage and the tv coverage
2: Mm. You've spoken quite a bit about giving back and you've been doing more and more coaching now. Uh, how's that been going?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it coaching. I basically um, said to the England development uh, coaches, so, you know, the ones that are working with our young up and coming England squash players, that I'd really like to get involved a little bit more. It is really hard for me to commit because. Obviously, I've got a really busy schedule, and I need to be concentrating on my on my own training and and things that go with that. But where I can, I've been trying to trying to join in with the EDP squads we call them, the England Development squads. And, and luckily for me and for them, I guess the squads are mainly in Manchester at our National Squash Centre, which is the legacy from the Manchester two thousand and two Games. And it's really close close to home for me, so it's it's great. I can go over. I can basically just. Just have a hit with the girls and the boys as well, but predominantly the girls to help them feel the level that they're aiming for, the 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 way that I hit the ball, my professionalism, you know, the amount of times I've turned up, and you know the sort of you know just like as as. 16 15 17 year old girls are sort of chatting away and I'll just crack on with my warm up and a lot of it's just sort of making them aware of it leading by example um, it's more than just what you put in when you get when you stand on the court it's it's the warm ups it's the cool downs it's the little bits that you do extra and and I guess just having me around is just opening their eyes to that i mean quite often they don't do it with me quite quite sometimes they do and you sort of can just hopefully let them see what you're doing and maybe if they go away and copy it then then that'll be you know just a little bit of a one percent that might make make them you know win a match maybe I don't know so I've been definitely helping with that I'd love to get involved a little bit more with that as as my career maybe comes to an end but I, I certainly don't want to overplay that role while I am still trying to play and I, I go on those squads and I'm very much, although I'm obviously with the coaches and I'm I'm there trying to help and offer feedback, I'm very much one of the players um, get on court with them and and do the exact same sessions that they are where the coaches obviously stand out the back. So I sort of feel as it's the best way that I can play it because being on court with the players is the best way to feel what's going on and sometimes coaching can lack with that lack, lack that side of things where they they don't get on court with the players and they can't feel the subtleties what's going on and although as a coach you from the outside and you can see what's going on 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 the court and from the outside and that's great to have that other perspective of a semi semi coach semi player being able to offer a perspective from the co to the coach from the inside the court is is a different perspective so I hope that that's been been really helpful, and um, I, I never thought that I would want to coach, but the way that I've the way that I feel I can give back to particularly young girls and what I've learned over, over my career and how you know I'm definitely by no means you know, one of the most talented squash players there is. It's been a lot of hard work, consistency, dedication over time that I just want to show them that you can be English, British, whatever it is, and compete with all of these Egyptians that are coming out of the woodwork and, you know, all these other squash players that are playing really, really well at the moment and they can do it. Um, even even though they're, you know, in, in England and um, there's not that many of us in the top 10 anymore.
2: Mm. Why do you think that is? What's making Egypt in particular so good and so competitive?
1: Oh, it's a good question. I get asked it a lot. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's just success breeds success. I think mm. it takes a long time to build up. I, it was the same with you know the the English and the Australians dominated squash for a long time. It's taken almost it's taken a long time for that to stop, um, and the Egyptians have sort of slowly but surely come around and I think yeah there's think I think you know when you th- when you look at the way how many players they have it, it's it's that old sort of I guess throw 100 eggs at a wall and one won't break and they've just got this pot of of squash players that is unbelievable honestly it's I mean there was over 130 I heard in the under under 13 boys national championships wow. which is unheard of and you're not telling me that one or two of those is not going to be very, very special mm-hmm. when they're already competing against another hundred and odd under 13 boys. So it's that pool of players. It's it's the fact that they already have so many players at the top. I think they can learn from the best and it brings out that extra little bit of competitiveness as well. And I think to even be the best in your country, you have to be phenomenal in England it's it's become you know when i was younger to be the be- to be the best in England was a really really big deal and it's still a really big deal to be number 1 in England but on a world level being number 1 in England doesn't quite mean the same as it, it did back then whereas in Egypt if you're number 1 in Egypt you're borderline number 1 in the world at junior level so uh, and at senior level so it's it, you know there's there's players in there's players on the world rankings who are two in Egypt and they're three in the world and you know it's it's things like that really and i think it's success breeds success and it's just become a little bit of a hotbed at the moment so it'll be interesting to see how it pans out in the next few years mm.
2: but this year the world championships is in your backyard it's in Manchester is that <laughs>
1: going to make a difference hopefully i hope it will um obviously anytime you can play at home is unbelievable and I've won two British Open titles which is our most prestigious event alongside the world championships it's our Wimbledon it's 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 got the it, it's got the most history behind it it's the longest running professional squash event and I managed to 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 win my second British Open title in March just gone beating the world number one in the semi-final and it was a really, really special time because it's it's not only is it a hugely prestigious event and very, very hard to win, but it's at home and everyone gets to come and watch you play. Uh, I had friends and family come down and it just makes it even more special. And the crowd are the crowd are unbelievable, you know, particularly in the latter stages of events where it can really make a difference. As two 0 down against the world number one in the semi final and the crowd got you know arguably got me over the line. So. You know, we're, we're combined um, first equal prize money, joint men and women's world championships in Manchester in December. And, you know, to have so many women and male players in contention for that title when it comes around in December is hopefully going to be something really special. And um, the last time we had a world championships for the women in, in Manchester was in 2008, I think. And I was nowhere near sort of where I'm ranked now. So it'll be a really special occasion and definitely definitely a way probably for me to look at that process and go even more process even more routine based because I can imagine although it's going to be hugely exciting it's also going to be um quite stressful and you know a lot of expectation there as well so it's about dealing with all that and and hopefully I can draw on those experiences of winning the British Opens to to play my best there.
2: Fantastic. Well, I wish you all the best for that Laura. It's been really special speaking to you on on this week's podcast. Really learned a lot from you. Um before we wrap this up, can you just let us know where we can find out more about you online so we can continue to follow your journey, please?
1: Yeah. Um so I'm pretty I'm pretty active probably on Twitter and Facebook the most. So I think my Twitter handle is @ljmasaro and Yeah, my Facebook athlete page is um, just Laura Massaro, I think, Laura Massaro Squash. So um, they're the best places to follow me. Um, I've also got a website, which I could do better at updating, but um, there's definitely a few more pictures and and blogs and things on there as well. And that's lauramassaro.co.uk.
2: You can worry about that once you finish your career. You can update it (laughs) then. Laura, it's been so great to speak to you. Thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for being the best in the world.
1: Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it.
0: The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
2: An absolute pleasure speaking to Laura on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. The second time we've had a squash player on this program maybe go back and listen to my conversation with jenny duncalf that was only a few episodes ago it's on our website sportuccino.com it's at acast that's acast.com forward slash best it's also on itunes and We speak to a range of different sports stars, not just from squash, and they really vary in the different sports that we cover. We've done lots of MMA. One of the most confident people I've ever spoken to is Dan Severin. Go back and listen to that. And then at the other end of the scale, you might want to listen to one of the real pioneers of darts. John Lowe has been on the program. They're all available on iTunes, ACAST, Sportachino.com, as well as many, many more. As I mentioned, this is episode 89. So we've got 88 previous episodes with world champions, Olympic champions, world record holders and world number ones for you to listen and learn from. So please go and do that. We'll have more episodes coming up for you in the future, starting from next week. But until then, I hope you have a wonderful time. All right. Take care. Goodbye.
0: The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.